Welcome to today's webinar compiled and produced by the team at biznews.com. All of our webinars are interactive. We encourage you to pose questions to our guests. The more challenging, the better. And the earlier you get the questions in, the better the chance of having them answered. The recording of this webinar will be available later today on the biznews.com channel on YouTube. Welcome, everybody, to today's Business Finance Friday webinar. Today, we've got property expert Michelle Dickens, who's going to be chatting to us and fielding all your questions. And she's an expert on South Africa's residential property market. So please do start getting your questions in uh, in the little box on your right. And we also have a wealth manager, Lawrence Reichart, who will be able to speak to you specifically about your global investments. So uh, welcome to Michelle and Lawrence. If you could turn your um, cameras on, that would be great. And welcome to everybody who's joined us here today. Um, Stuart, would you just like to ask people or just check that the tech's working and point them in the direction of where they can pop their questions? I will do, Jax. Um, just quickly, the little half hour button on your control panel. If you can see Jax, Michelle and Lawrence and hear my voice, can you give us a little half five? Just And if the sound is loud enough, that's always a thing. There you go, Jax, you got some half fives, which is always good, or we call them elbows in the day of COVID. Um, just as Jax mentioned, also very conversational, a little questions box on the control panel, questions icon there. If you can put your questions there, Jax will pass them on as she runs through, but have fun. All. Great, thank you, Stu. So, um, welcome, Michelle. Perhaps we can start with you. Michelle, um, I've known Michelle for a long time. Uh, she's an expert in the property market and also an entrepreneur. Uh, and, uh, Michelle, you've you spotted opportunities, you know, quite a long time ago when there, when there was a lot of interest in the property market. You've seen the property market go through a few cycles. Perhaps you could take us through, firstly, what TPN does and, and what you do, and then we can just have a look at uh, some of your uh, data that you've brought with you today. Thanks, Jackie. Um, thanks for the, the opportunity to come and chat to your um, delegates. So, yeah, I mean, TPN started um, in 2000, and the idea there was we wanted to help landlords identify quality tenants for their properties. So how do we weed out the bad Apple tenants and ensure that landlords have quality tenants um, in their properties? And basically what we do in order to um, achieve this goal is we collect the data every single month from our clients who their tenants are, where they rent, and importantly, how they pay their rent on a monthly basis. So they pay, they pay late, they don't pay or they pay partially. And if they're not paid or partially paid, to what is that value that is outstanding and is it a growing value um, on a monthly basis? And we do that on millions and millions um, of tenants. Uh, we have 800,000 active tenants in the, in the database. Um, and um, we've gone through the global financial crisis and now we're going through the pandemic, the global pandemic. And so what a lot of our, our users always want to understand is, well, how bad did it get? And I guess are we on the road uh, to recovery at the, at the moment? 
Um, and in my, in my slides that I've shared, um, we give context to um, how low um, we've gotten in terms of the good standing ratio of uh, residential tenants. So, um, Jax, if you could just move my slides to the, to the next one. Um, which is current tenant risk, and we're going to look at the good standing ratio, both of commercial tenants and of residential tenants, because we do look at both segments um, of the market. And so residential tenants historically have been running at 80, uh, coming into the lockdown at 81% of tenants in good standing. And that means they're fully paid up by the end of the month. If they had any balances brought forward, plus arrears rent, um, the current month's rent, the um, electricity, parking, whatever charges they have, that account is fully up to date by the end of the month. And 81.5% of tenants were in good standing coming into the lockdown. It peaked in 2013 at 86 to give some sort of context. The global financial crisis at the bottom of the uh, cycle, it dropped to 71%. And you will see in the graph that um, I've shared, which is on a monthly basis, in the month of May, we dropped to 71.9% um, as well. Um, thanks, Jax. Um, and then from May, it started to increase again, 72, 73.6, 74.3, 75.1. And I'm looking at the data for October. There's a little bit of a lag on the data. And I expect us to get close to that 76% uh, mark for the month of October, which does suggest to us that we are on a very slow and steady um, improvement from a residential perspective. From a commercial perspective, that's the blue bar, and you'll see the tenants drop from 78% in good standing. They dropped down to 50%, bottomed out in May at 47.9%. Retail was the most affected. They bottomed out at um, 40%. Um, commercial in terms of office was the best, sorry, was uh, next, and industrial properties were the best uh, performing. And you'll see that it slowly started to improve as well, kind of flatlining a little bit between August and September, but we are starting to see improvement there. What people want to know, though, is, Jax, if you can move to the next slide, what people want to know is when we've got um, the number of property, the number of tenants that now are potentially squatting in a property. So is there an increase in the number of tenants that require, because as we know, in the lockdown process, um, during alert level five, there was a prohibition on evictions altogether. And as the lockdown alert levels move between four, three, and two, the restrictions eased on your ability to get evictions um, um, for tenants that were in your property that were not paying. The important part of this graph that I want to share is that the majority of tenants are not delinquents by nature to the point that they are going to serially squat in your property. No. This graph tells us of the total population of all the tenants, how many tenants um, are sitting in your property for four, a minimum of four months without paying any rent, because this is typically how long it would take you to get an eviction um, order. And that's only half a percent. Half a percent of the tenant population will sit in your property for four months in a row with not, without paying a single cent um, towards rent. And you'll see the red bars escalating to over 2% during the hard lockdown period. That was not because tenants all of a sudden became um, uh, worse people. It was because there was a restriction on movement and they physically couldn't move out of the properties. And as those restriction on movements were um, relaxed midway through March, you, you start to see that the number of tenants in that four plus months slowly starting to deteriorate. There is a lag in the data and I can already tell you that um, in our next um, uh, reporting period, we've seen a, a decline um, as well. And then my next graph, Jackie, if we have a look at it. Um, I'll just try and get to it. There we go. There we go. Speaks to the vacancy rate. Because obviously, 
in this lockdown period, what we've had is we've had this, um, what was reported on 2.2 million individuals that had lost their, um, their jobs or their income. And as a result of that, you obviously start to see increasing vacancies simply because people don't have the income to rent. So what do they do? They co-share, they move back in with family and friends, et cetera. And so we saw a spike in, um, in vacancies. And that's obviously the second risk that, that the landlord has. Either you have a non-paying tenant or you have a, ten, uh, a property with no uh, tenants in it um, altogether. So if we're starting to see, and we know that we have a slightly oversupplied uh, market, certainly in, 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 in certain demographics of the, of the, of the market, um, and where are those de demographics? They're in places like Santon, Randburg, um, Centurion, no, Centurion, we don't have a vacancy problem. If you're having a, 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 an area with vacancy um, issues, it's now all about, well, how do I um, attract quality tenants to my property? So we went out and did a wish list. And the wish list was, um, where are you as a tenant um, at the moment? So let's 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 pop onto the next slide, Jackie. And this is the tenant wish list. And the tenant, the first question that we ask them is, why do you rent? Why don't you just go and buy? Because as we know, interest rates are so low, right? Um, so why aren't you taking this opportunity and going and buying a property? And the majority, 45% of tenants said, well, I can't afford to buy a property actually um, at the moment. And if you skip to the next slide, Jackie, it didn't matter whether we asked this question around age bracket, um, it was still the most um, um, expressed reason why I don't uh, buy and I continue to rent, and that's more so for a younger generation. And if you skip to the next one, um, it again, it doesn't matter what value um, rent you pay, it's still the, um, the most expressed reason. More so in our more um, affordable properties, our below 3000s, and then as the properties become more expensive, um, less so. So now we know why you are choosing um, uh, to rent. The next question that we ask them, we're going to move to the next question is, well, will you rent forever? For how long do you want to rent? And actually, 50% um, um, of the market said, well, at least for the next five years or forever. So 28% said for at least the next five years and 22% um, indefinitely. We're not, we're not looking to. And then let's have a look at again across the different type of uh, tenant demographics. So our um, um, more luxury type properties, those between 12 and 25 and 25,000 plus, um, we, we're quite comfortable to rent for the foreseeable future. Our lower income properties, the below 3,000, this is fascinating. We have this aspiration um, to buy in the next five years. We know we can't afford it now. We know that this is the most affected um, segment of the market says we can't afford it now, but we aspire in the next five years that we will be uh, property owners. So I think that's fabulous. But from our, our landlord's perspective at the, mo at the moment, it does mean that those tenants remain tenants, at least for the next five years. Um, and then if we um, hop across to the next um, slide, we said, okay, well then, um, um, Again, um, we're looking at it from from an from an age demographic as well. Um, it doesn't matter how old or young you are. Um, um, the the tenants are saying, my um, my preference is um, from a property perspective. Okay, so let me let me reframe this question. What we asked here is we asked our tenants. If you want to rent, what do you want to rent? Do you want to rent a freestanding house, a sectional title unit, um, a cluster, 
or you don't mind so long as your preferences are met. And the majority of tenants said, well, actually, we don't mind. We've got preferences that we needs that we want to be met. And so long as you meet those needs, uh, we, we don't really mind what type of property we will go and um, uh, look at and, and rent out. So I guess the question that um, our landlords would have is, well, then tell us, what are these tenant preferences? So let's move along, Jackie. And it's, it's, it's stuck. Oh, there we go. Oh my top three factors that the tenant looks for when they want to rent is price and this this is not surprising because our tenants told us we're not buying because we can't afford to so when we choose to rent it's because of price affordability is our key consideration 50 percent and 30 percent security and i guess that speaks to um the kind of country that we live in security is our next biggest consideration Fascinatingly, pet friendly is the third consideration, although it does spike in our older generation. So if we scroll down to the next one, um, we will see that our younger generation, price is not as sensitive to them as security. That is because maybe they're moving out of home for the first time. And often um, um, this type of tenants might be living alone. And so um, security is more important to our younger 18 to 29 year olds. Um, whereas price becomes more and more important the older you get. And in fact, our older generation are 60 plus. Um, this is a really big uh, factor for them. These are people that are no longer earning. And so um, whatever we've got in our retirement kitty, this is now what we've got to, to work with. Um, and then the pet friendly, as I said, fascinating. It's our older generation, our empty nesters, no one's at home with us. Maybe we're back to being living alone. And so our pets are quite important um, for that um, category of tenants. Um, and then of course, we looked at it by rental value. So on the rental value, um, oh, you, oh, you went too fast, Jax. One, one up. There we go. On rental value, um, again, price is really, really important to the, the lower income earners because a lot more of their income goes towards rent. So when we look at our 3,000 and our three to 7,000 rand tenants, particularly our below 3,000 rand tenants, 45% of their income can go towards our rent. So price sensitivity is huge over there. But as the properties become um, more luxurious and more expensive, less of our budget is allocated towards um, uh, towards rental. Um, and security starts to play a bigger, um, a bigger part in that. And then, of course, the last thing that I just want to share is, if we move to the next one, um, we asked, well, what problems do our landlords need to solve for us? And fascinatingly, 30% said, um, please, can you just maintain our properties? And as we know, the better quality property you have, the better quality tenant you attract. But once you've attracted your tenant, retain your tenant by um, sorting out the maintenance um, issues. Of course, finance does come in across three different categories, funding my deposits, and my lack of control over my utilities. And as we know, utilities have um, escalated double digits, whereas rent has stayed fairly flat. Um, in quarter two, rent was only escalating by 1.6%. We were seeing negative escalations in the luxurious above 25,000 rand properties. And now, um, in quarter three, our preliminary data shows that we're getting negative escalations in Western Cape. We're getting negative escalations in um, the seven to 12,000 rand category and anything above 12,000. So in actual fact, anything above 7,000, we're seeing negative escalations. And then if we scroll down to the next one, I think yeah, I do put it in if we show it between age and between the different uh, rental price brackets, exactly the same um, um, conversation. Um, maintenance, a big um, importance, and that lack of control of utility expenses, particularly in the 
upper end of the, the, the property market where you might have multiple geysers, swimming pools, um, additional um, um, infrastructure that's going to, to suck out your, your utility spending. Jax, that's it for me. Thank you very much. Some very interesting points there. Before we um, get questions, we've had lots of questions coming um, from our uh, audience here on property. But before we get to that, let's chat to Lawrence. Lawrence, uh, perhaps you can just tell us a bit about what the work you do. And um, I see you've got clients all over the world, Lawrence. Uh, yes, thank you very much. And thank you very much for, for having me. Um, so um, the company is it, called uh, Holborn. Uh, we've been in South Africa for the last decade or so. Um, overseas, it's the, um, uh, well, globally, it's probably the second largest IFA in the world. We manage just short of two and a half billion US for our clients. Um, and our particular skill set really in South Africa is, um, is money outside of South Africa for the South African resident. Um, if I take a stone and chuck it out of the window here, yeah, I'm going to find a financial advisor that understands the domestic space better than us. So we don't try to really compete in that space. And when it comes to the offshore world, we, we know that world better than most. Um, so uh, South African residents that are externalizing their, their hard-earned cash here and moving it abroad, the question is, okay, I've got the hedge on the rand now, now what do I do? And uh, this is where we uh, become extremely valuable. Um, we have two, two streams of business outside of South Africa. One which is in liquidity, so where is the best place to park my money in terms of cash management, in terms of equities, in terms of fixed interest, etc. And then also, like Michelle's world, you know, where do I go and buy um, property overseas? And we've got a huge property division and a little segment to that is also citizenship through investment. That's really our, uh, our opening gambit if you've met me in an elevator. Thank you, Lawrence. And one of Michelle's graphs showed us that um, Immigration seem to be very low on the list of priorities, uh, yet we have a lot of questions here in our webinars from people who are thinking about immigrating. Are you finding that uh, it's, there's a trend on the up for immigration? Um, maybe a little. I think there are two reasons why people probably leave South Africa. So one is fears around safety and security. The other one is probably opportunity that exists abroad that doesn't exist domestically. But um, we, we haven't, I mean, if you take my client base, I only manage about 100 clients. I've maybe lost about five to 10 of them out of the country over the years. Um, I think there's a bigger, um, a bigger movement of money out of South Africa um, than people moving out of South Africa. So, so I think this is the best country in the world to live in. I mean, uh, you, you, you just, the quality of life, um, the, the, the food, the people, Everything that's here is world class, um, and uh, but there's an old there's an old uh, saying that the wealthy have employed for a long time: live where it's warm, invest where it's cold. So have your house in Camps Bay in Stellenbosch, have it, have your place in the bush, but have your money in London, in Switzerland, in New York. You know, it's uh, it's, uh, it's the right way to to manage your your wealth. So and do, you have a minimum, do you have a minimum amount of money that you have to invest if you come to your firm? Or do you deal with all that? Uh, with, with, with us, you know, we have a spectrum of, of advisors. Um, so I obviously work in the million dollar pluses, but, um, but but our advisors are dotted all across the country, and they 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 they, they take um, they take clients at, at, at most levels. 
Um, and, and I don't think people ever need to concern themselves really with, you know, do I have a minimum? Uh, even if they didn't knock on our door, some of the domestic advisories and some of the domestic product providers are really, really switched on to this. And they have very, very low entry points for people who want to like move their money into small endowments overseas. There are, there are all sorts of interesting things for people to, to get the, 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 the hedge on the current currency and also our stock market that is, that is ailing and, and, and failing at the moment. But maybe a good time to buy. Uh, you know, there's, an old, there's another old saying, you know, the best time, one of my colleagues that actually said this to me the other day, best time to plant a tree was 30 years ago and the next best time to plant a tree is today. So, yeah, uh, you know, and, and, and of course you mustn't, you mustn't move all your money outside of South Africa. You still need to live, you know, you still need to buy your house. And uh, uh, so, but, but most certainly diversification is key. Um, having a little bit in, in every basket is probably a wise thing. Thank you. Well, the first question is from somebody who does want to keep their money in South Africa, and Sean wants to know from Michelle, where is the best place to invest in buy-to-let properties if you have only one choice? So buy-to-let properties, what the sweet spots are telling us, um, are rentals between 3,000 um, and 7,000, um, and 7,000 and 12,000. So let me talk about the 3 to 7. The 3 to 7 is a very broad category of rental space, and 56% of the population sits there. So it is a, um, a well-needed population um, of the market. But I would split it, and I would say the 4,500 to the 7,000 rental price range um, is a good range. Um, a little bit more delinquent than our seven to twelve thousand. So our seven to twelve thousand rand range is our best performing tenant in terms of uh, rent collection, and so your risk there is a lot lower from a delinquent uh, tenant uh, payment behaviour. Um, so that's talking about the, the the risk of the tenant. If I was to talk about the vacancy rates, our vacancy rates are best um, in our um, uh, three to seven thousand uh, rand range again. They are really um, high right now in our below 3,000 rand range, and it's not because there's not demand, there's still demand, it's just the quality of tenant is very poor. So our quality of tenant in our below 3,000 rand range is sitting at 62% uh, good standing, and as we know, we saw the average sitting at 76%. So it really is a challenged um, area of the market, and that's because we've got a lot of casual um, earnings, that um, wage earners that, uh, that stay in that segment. So now we've looked at it from a vacancy perspective, we've looked at it from a risk of non-paying perspective, um, and then of course what we want to know is do we have a return on investment? So where are the returns? The returns are, quite simply, the more affordable the property is, the better your return is. So as a simple, as a simple um, calculation, I always like to share this one, if my rent is, um, oh, let's start with the market value. If the market value is 300,000 Rand, 1% of that is 3,000 Rand rent. A 1% rent to market value will always give you a 12% yield. The more expensive the property becomes, the lower the yield goes. So a 30 million Rand house is not going to achieve us a 1% um, uh, rent. It's just impossible. It's going to be sitting at 0.3 of a percent, um, um, or maybe 0.5 of a percent, and that will mean that your yield is lower. The less um, your property um, value is valued at, the less the market value, the more you can get above 1%. So going back to that 3,000 Rand, 300,000 Rand rental, typically we're going to get a 4,000 Rand, a 300,000 Rand market value, typically we're going to get a 4,000 Rand rental, and that's going to get us closer to a 17% uh, yield. 
But as we know, the lower the value, the more risky the tenant. So that's the toss-up. Um, we know that two bedrooms at the moment are performing better from a yield perspective. They used to be one bedrooms, but now because people can co-share together, you can get more rent for two bedroom than you can for a one bedroom. So that's giving you a better yield. And we know sectional title is better than full title. Um, so I've given you a lot of information, but honestly, it means that that can happen anywhere in the country. And I don't know where the, the delegate is at the moment. So you need to be looking for properties um, within your area, your region that you are looking for that meet those kind of criteria. Lawrence, do those yields sound good? And when you look at a property from an international perspective, what kind of yields would you be looking at in uh, elsewhere in the world compared to South Africa? Yeah, I think the magic number overseas normally is about four to five percent in, in, in yield numbers. South Africa used to be a country where you could probably get 10 percent yields. Um, so those have uh, come down, but also our property prices, especially in, in strong metros, Cape Town, for example, they've come to sort of closer to European values, so you'd, you'd expect that. Um, I think the, the magic mark in, uh, in, in places like uh, Berlin and Germany or Lisbon and Portugal or Manchester in the UK, if you could get four to five, I think that makes you a happy person. If you can get six to seven, then you're elated. Um, the, the only difference, of course, between that and the South African spectrum is that the inflation is that much lower there. And so your, 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 your real, real return over inflation tends to be slightly better, bizarrely, nowadays in, in Europe. Because previously, South African property was the asset class of choice for, for, for yield. Um, not just the capital growth component, but uh, I, I definitely agree with Michelle on the on on the price brackets that she's put it in. That those sort of 500,000 to 2 million rand um, properties, they they fly off the shelf. You can't get enough of them. So there's still lots of value here as well. Thank you, uh, Michelle. You're nodding there. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, I, I think I, the only thing that I want to add is just to qualify that what I'm talking about is gross yield and not yet net yield. So um, off, your, off your yield of 400,000 rand house to 4,000 rand rental giving you a 12% yield, that is gross. You will still need to deduct your property expenses um, off that to get you closer to a net yield. Thank you. That actually ties in with a question from Khamari, and this is a question for both of you. She says, there is a lot of ongoing debate in the market whether the inherent risks, and she says bad tenants, and hidden costs, levies, etc., really make up for the growth versus the stock market. What are your views on this? Lawrence, property or stocks? Uh, that's, that's a great, great question, a fantastic debate. I'll probably answer by, you know, get myself a look by saying have both. But um, if you have to pick, right, the only difference between really so, so let's let's take a global global view on, on, on stocks of property. Uh, if you get the stock selection wrong, it's it's a rubbish investment. If you get the property wrong, it's a rubbish investment. So let's assume both are excellent. Um, then I would say property all day long because you cannot gear your stocks. So you, if I have a hundred thousand dollars, I'm buying a hundred thousand dollars of stocks and it's growing at ten percent. Sounds fantastic. Problem is I've got a hundred thousand dollars. And even if the capital value of the property is increasing by only 5% and I've got 5% yield, I'm still making 10, but I can take my $100,000, I can gear another $400,000 against it. Now I've got an asset of $500,000 that's growing at 5% a year rather than $100,000 growing at 10. I would take the property all day long, every day of the week. Um, but to, to answer the question around, around tenancy, um, the, the, the big thing that we focus on 
is we never put clients' money into any country where there is not a vehement protection of property rights. So, so countries where, where squatters have, have, have rights is, is no, not, not, not good in our books at all. Um, so, so, we, so Italy, Greece, Spain, all of these countries we don't look at, um, but the countries we do look at, if uh, someone doesn't pay their rent, especially if the supply and demand imbalance is really, really high, um, if someone doesn't pay their rent, they need to be out within a month or two so the next guy can get in, um, and, and, and then I don't think you have, uh, have an issue. So as long as you've got a high supply and demand imbalance on, on, the, on, on the, the, the sought-afterness of the property and the, the council of that city and that country protects property rights in terms of landlords having, being able to evict tenants, um, I think you're in for a winner on property in my personal opinion. Well, that's great because people who are investment advisors very seldom recommend property because it's not in their interest. So, interesting overview. Michelle, what's what's your view on how you factor in the hidden costs of having a tenant? Um, so, yeah, the hidden the hidden costs would be um, finding a tenant, placing the tenants. I mean, this is where your, your biggest uh, costs come in, specifically if you're going to use a rental agent. Um, and you could be paying, on average, um, you pay 8% um, of the value of the rents over the period of the lease, which is typically calculated at, at 12 months, and that works out to being your first month's rent. Um, if you're going to manage the property yourself, um, it is very time consuming, I'm not going to lie. Uh, tenants will call you at 6 in the morning to tell you, my, my personal story, my tenant phoned me at 6 in the morning to tell me, Please, can you come and unlock for me? Um, I'm locked in my house. How did you get in your house? I got in last night, but I can't find my keys to get out. So that, those kind of conversations will happen. Burst keys, et cetera. So managing a property is a, is a time-consuming process, and it's not passive income. Collecting rent is not, you know, I talk about 76% um, of tenants being in, in good standing. The reality is only 60% pay on time. So you've got a cash flow um, for the balance of the tenants that are going to pay you, but they're going to pay you by the by the end of the month. And you've got to have those com those difficult conversations in order to get um, rent in. So there are there are those hidden costs, and of course you've got your levies, you've got your special levies, you've got your rates and taxes, um, and you've, you've got to factor all of that in. And the, you want to keep your tenant for as long as possible because if you have a churn of tenants too quickly, then there's maintenance costs and there's potential vacancies while you're going through those um, churn processes. So let's talk about the good stuff because I feel like I've focused a little bit on the on the awful stuff. Let's talk about the good stuff. Well, the good stuff is that if you have a quality product, uh, uh, property, a good asset, you bought a good asset, you put in a quality tenant, and let's be honest, it is not. There are more quality tenants than there are bad tenants. To say that the majority of to say that I don't rent, I don't buy property investment because um, the majority of tenants are tenants from hell stories um, is not true. And, and that was the point of my one graph where only half a percent um, are, are squatting, four percent um, are four months in a row. Um, and just because, and, and it doesn't need to be that you buy the property yourself, they're, they're property REITs. So you can invest in property through property REITs and it doesn't have to be a commercial property REIT, it can be a, a residential property REIT. So those um, do exist as well and you would have seen that on my Thank you for my profile that you put up with my picture at the front. Um, I'm not punting anyone. Um, so those those REITs um, do exist as well. 
to talk about squatting rights, um, and it's something that Lawrence touched on. So I just want to I just want to tick that box um, from a South African perspective. We don't have squatting rights in South Africa. We do have laws. We have the Rental Housing Act and we have the PI Act, Prevention of Illegal Eviction. There are rights, and some landlords might argue, but it takes a long time to get a delinquent or, an, or a squatting tenant out of my property. That may be, and it may take two to three months. Um, but you will get your tenant out your uh, property during um, an eviction proceeding so long as you haven't created an unfair practice and it's just and equitable to, to do so. And in fact, we had a fabulous um, uh, a judgment now in lockdown period where the judge ordered in October um, during alert level two, the, 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 the court's um, full bench of three judges in the Western Cape um, ordered the eviction um, and it was to take place within less than 30 days. Um, so where it is just and equitable to do so, the courts will order your eviction orders and they will grant them within a, 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 a reasonable time period. Um, so I think that's an important uh, uh, process to tick off the box as well. Thank you, Michelle. Lawrence, could you just pick up on this issue of investing in REITs? I mean, aren't these bad investments these days? Isn't the whole commercial property sector in a deep crisis because of all the COVID-19 lockdowns? What are you advising your clients? Yeah, if I was going to put money in a REIT, I would think about residential. I wouldn't think about commercial. I think this COVID-19 has, uh, has really um, turned over the world of commercial real estate. We don't really know where it's going to go. Um, so also my, my issue with property funds is that if something happens with the underlying assets, uh, you have an issue with illiquidity um, and I'm allergic to loss, so I, I don't touch them personally. Um, but if I was going to go into a, into a property fund, I would make sure that it is based on res residential development because one thing is certain, if people aren't going to go to commercial entities for working, they're going to be working from home. So what you are seeing is an increase, in a huge increase um, in America and, and in Europe uh, for um, big companies to push their people home. So with, And then what they've done is they've dropped the interest rates to nearly nothing. And so there is an enormous influx in property purchase overseas. And so if you have REITs and residentials, I could see that working longer term. Thank you. And then this ties in with a question from Tuas, who says, traditionally, most work opportunities are in cities, for example, Gauteng. So many workers have to relocate and find a place to stay. The new normal means more people working from home. So exactly what you've been talking about here. So he wants to know, how is this affecting the South African market? Michelle, what changes are you expecting because of the COVID-19 crisis and the shift to work from home? Um, so um, that's a, that's an interesting question from the shift to to work from home. Um, certainly, we're seeing that um, in the low end of the market, the challenge there is not even a, a work from home scenario. It's more a lack of earnings um, scenario um, that we're that we're seeing. Um, and so what ends up happening there is that pushes the vacancy rates up for our landlords in that low end of the market. Um, we're seeing fascinating um, creation of nano units, so smaller units. So ultimately what people want, they want to feel safe and secure um, in their environment and in their home, and affordability is key. So creating safe and secure nano units where you can address the affordability um, issue 
um, we're seeing um, a nice uptake of, of that kind of development. And of course, we're seeing a lot of refurbs from buildings that were office buildings and now being refurbed into um, residential buildings in places like Ravonia, um, in Sunny Hill, in Rosebank, um, in the metropolitan areas, but suburban, not, um, not necessarily in a city, which is fascinating. It's fantastic. And those are being developed into affordable. I mean, when I talk about nano units, we're talking about two and a half thousand rand starting points um, for people to, to rent at, where you've got a fully functional um, um, a unit set out with a kitchenette, with your bathroom facilities, um, with your room, um, et cetera, as opposed to just being rentals of rooms. The rentals of rooms, we're seeing that those are not as attractive anymore because that, the cost for that now is too high for a single um, uh, person to rent a room. We're now seeing this move into co-renting with two rooms where actually it's more affordable per person um, to rent uh, a two bed than it is to just rent those um, individual rooms. I hope that's answered the question. Yes, thank you, Michelle. Lawrence, Fred says he's thinking of buying in Portugal and he's worried about his property rights changing and he wants to buy in Portugal because he's the, the, of the, the attraction of also getting this residency. What are the risks of investing in property in Portugal? Is that an area that you work with your clients on? Yeah, um, we, we, we work in Portugal. We, have the, we, we do the whole citizenship through investment, but they own property in Portugal myself. Um, so there is an enormous influx of, of buyers coming in, and as a result, your locals are often getting a bit peeved off, and then what you have is uh, government that has to kind of step in and try and make it a little bit harder um, so that you don't have the domestic um, populace not being able to afford property anymore or being forced to some sort of gentrification to move out of their, their metros and areas. Um, but uh, uh, what you will always find is that governments have to make decisions based on what is best for the country's um, finances as well. And so Portugal uh, changed very, very um, sharply. They almost made a 180 um, in, in circa 2000. I remember uh, in terms of how they how they approach the Portuguese um, property ownership. So back then, Portugal was grouped with the other countries. They called them the pigs: Portugal, Italy, Greece, and Spain. And bizarrely, only the Portuguese took umbrage, and they were the only ones that, that, that said, I'm not, "I'm not part of no pigs." And uh, it was obviously the economies in Europe that had the, the, the that had the most failing um, bits and so what they they did is they did a, a 180 and what they did was they said okay we need to um, we need to make sure that that our um, landlords that that own property that they can evict people so that they can spruce up their properties that was one of the first thing they invited an enormous amount of FDI in um, they, they they got a lot of head offices that gone and set up there so you've got um, a big Amazon outfit there, you've got a huge BMW outfit there. Um, then what they did is they created this for a citizenship by investment program, um, which focuses mainly on places like Lisbon, Porto, um, also some bits of the Algarve. Now I know that that is likely to change come next year, but like everything, if you're not bringing in, in if you're not bringing in money, then um, it, no matter how much people cry, you're going to have to do something that will create revenue. 
So we'll have to see what's going to happen. We, we haven't got a full and final answer on what's happening inside Portugal, but like, like anything, the guy that's looking for their second passport, they don't actually want to move to Portugal. It's just if the proverbial poop hits the fan here that they've got a plan B. Also, they don't like having their green member passport to go to London and then having to pay thousands of rands for visas and they can't fly all over the world after visas. So if you have a European passport, it's kind of cool to be able to travel around the world um, hassle-free and you've got the plan B. And the last thing that I'll say on the investment case in Portugal, um, the investment case in Portugal is really sound. Um, so if, even if you never did it for, for golden visa purposes, you're looking for from an investment case perspective, again, supply and demand. We, we, we take real, real keen interest in planning permission in those particular areas or area, any area that we're looking at buying. And there is not enough planning permission for the population growth. And if your population growth is 300,000 people over the next 10 years, but there's only going to be space built for 80,000 people, you know what is going to happen to investment. You know, it's the, it's the oldest thing, you know, economics is driven by scarcity. And in Portugal, there'll be scarcity for, for the right type of property. So as long as you speak to the, to, to the advisors who are wealth managers, not the people that are flogging your golden visa, then you're okay. Because what you want to do is, I, I personally, I don't give two hoots if someone gets a citizenship by investment or not. The only thing that I care about is if they make money. And so if you put your money in the right property and you know that in 10 years' time you've doubled this thing, then it's a good investment. If you happen to get a golden visa alongside it, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, that's first prize. But uh, as long as you focus on the investment case and you, and you make sure there's an enormous amount of due diligence done on the investment case, if you then get the second uh, uh, bit or passport or residency, you know, then, then you're saving. Michelle, I know your business focuses on South Africa, but you are a property expert. Presumably you've got a, a view on global property investing as well. Um, I do. Um, so I guess I guess it's always about um, where you are going, and it's a personal choice. So for me, it's always about looking at um, what is going to give the best uh, return on the value of what I'm looking for. But does it form part of my um, personal strategy of where I want um, where I want to go? So to Lawrence's a very specific uh, point, if people are taking money out of their country but not physically immigrating, which I think a lot of people are doing at the moment, um, then does where you are going to invest align with what you are looking to achieve in terms of your plan B? So if it's um, per the delegate's uh, previous request, if it is Portugal, then um, the plan B is to have a Portuguese uh, 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 passport then, or citizenship, then absolutely align your property um, investments um, over there. But I do believe that your property investments um, should have a return on investment. Um, you should understand the market that you are getting yourself into and you need to absolutely do your homework in terms of um, the, 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 the country that you're looking at. Thank you. Uh, Shaman says that his plan B is Mauritius. Lawrence, he would like to know what are the requirements for living part-time in Mauritius and registering a business in Mauritius and how easy is, is it to invest in property in Mauritius? Do you deal yeah, with Mauritius? So Mauritius is a, good, is a good outfit. We've got an office there as well. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it, it's, very, it's very good. A lot of people use company structuring there. Um, uh, 
mainly because it's a, a tax haven, um, but uh, it, 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 it speaks to the SADC countries. Um, property is a decent investment there. We, we partner with a, a good crowd in Mauritius for property investment. The good thing about them is they are not um, really on our currency. I know that they, they traditionally run on Mauritian rupee, but, but they're a dollar-based economy. And so me, uh, investments need to have one of four things, you know, pounds, euros, dollars, or Swiss francs. Um, if it has anything with an R in front of it, I, I run away. So, um, so Mauritius, I think, is a is a is a is a good thing because they price their property in USD. Um, it's also quite expensive, but you know, where 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 there is demand, is it not expensive? Um, so, uh, I think it's a nice place to to uh, look at getting a residency and a plan B. It's four hours from Joburg, six hours from Cape Town. Um, so it's a, it's a good destination. Uh, I don't really see the government there switching their rules anytime soon either. The, the main thing about um, about the um, about the Mauritian government is they now realise that they're um, that they're that they are the highest per capita earning African country. They want to keep that. So for them, that's a pretty good uh, um, uh, outcome. Thank you. Michelle, Malcolm has a question following on your points about tenants, very low level of squatters. He wants to know how much does it actually cost to evict a tenant? Do you have an estimate? Is sure, absolutely. I'm, I'm not going to lie, I have evicted tenants. Um, <laughs> comes, with <the> <laughs> comes with the territory. Um, so um, you, on average, you're looking at around about 20,000 Rand for an unopposed um, eviction. And typically what happens is that um, the attorneys are going to ask for a deposit down, which is which is 7,000 Rand. But here's the good The good news is that that is, if I go in and I have to take my eviction all the way to the court process, um, and the judge has to eventually give the order and the judgment order, and the sheriff has to come in and physically remove the tenant from the property, you in around about three months, you're looking around about 20,000 rand. But it doesn't often get to the end point. Often what happens is, is at point number one, which is you want to cancel the lease, because you can't evict until you've canceled the lease. You can't cancel the lease until you've given your tenant notice of breach and demanded payment from them, and that is a 20-day period if it's a fixed term lease. So you send your letter of demand on the second of the month, you wait your 20 business days, the tenant doesn't pay, you then have to cancel the lease. So that's your first month gone just to get your, your, your lease cancelled and to make your tenant an illegal occupier. If your attorney does the lease cancellation letter, that is first price because often the tenants get their lease cancellation letter from the attorney and not the landlord and they vacate because they know it's been handed over. So yes, you've had to put down a 7,000 Rand deposit often. I'm talking about the Joburg and the Western Cape areas. Often you have to put that uh, 7,000 Rand deposit down, but you typically only spend 1,400 Rand order to achieve that uh, cancellation when the tenant moves out. Say the tenant doesn't move out, the next step is that you need to get the sheriff to go around and serve summons. And often tenants get a big fight. Oh my God, the sheriff's here, they're serving summons, they're going to take my furniture. And they vacate at that point. So that's your next uh, fallout um, um, of all your tenants. Um, and if you're very unfortunate like I have been and your tenant decides to, you know, uh, ride it out all the way to the end and these are the school fees that I paid, it can cost you um, um, up to 20,000 rand. The real challenge is if you have a tenant who then decides, well, actually, they're going to oppose it. Um, and this is where the serial tenants um, 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 
squatters come in and I'm not going to share with you what they do because I don't think it's a good forum to go and share that kind of information. But um, then, then you can have a problem with, with a tenant. But ultimately, it's about uh, tenant screening. And as I said, we have millions and millions of tenants on our database, profiling how they pay every single month. So when you are looking at um, who you're placing as a tenant, look at the data, and then you are able to see, you know what, I'd rather, I'd, I'd rather hold out for a quality tenant than place a, a tenant who either doesn't have the affordability or means or has a history of, of non-performance in rental. How do you know if you're dealing with one of these nightmare serial squatters? Because presumably you would, it wouldn't be picked up on a on a credit profile. What kind of questions? No, absolutely, just picked up on a credit profile. So we we have tenants that um, that have we have landlords that place tenants who have had eight months of non-payment. One of my very favorite stories is one of my staff members. It's, it's priceless. One of my staff members who works here at a credit bureau where we collect this information. The tenant comes to him and says. It was a her actually, so I'm, I'm not going to do a disservice. The, 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 the tenant uh, comes to to um, to my staff member and says, you know, look, I'm going to be honest, my credit profile is not great. You, you don't even bother doing the check. I'm being upfront with you. I went through hard times. I'm coming out. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, um, you know, it, it wasn't great. So don't waste your money on doing it. Had he done the check, he would have seen that what she meant was I haven't paid my rent for the last five months of my current landlord. So the first step is just do the check. Just have a look at what the data uh, says. The TPN uh, credit profile, the TPN credit check, will look at how they paid their rent over the last five years, over multiple leases, um, what other credit they have, credit cards, store cards, um, car finance, whatever they have, how they pay each one of those accounts, what the total value of credit that they have outstanding. So they got 10 million rand outstanding, uh, 2 million rand, 1 million rand, 500,000. What's their total credit value outstanding? What is their monthly commitment to that? 10,000 rand per month, 20,000 rand per month, and any arrears that they have on any of those um, accounts. You've got a fabulous um, understanding of timelines if your tenant is going into hard times, coming out of hard times, what their total commitments are from an affordability perspective. Uh, really, I, I, I know I own the company, <laughs> but I wouldn't place a tenant without uh, properly credit fetching them upfront because the cost of getting them out, as I said, can be 20 grand. Not always, but can be, and absolutely, you don't want to sit with a four month in a row non paying tenant, even though it's only half a percent. By not checking your tenant, that's um, you could be one of those half a percent. Thank you very much. Uh, Lawrence, Daphne's got two questions on Mauritian property. What is the minimum price that you need to invest in a Mauritian property, and can you get tenants for your Mauritian property? How would that work? Um, that's a good question. I'm not, I'm not too um, uh, I'm far into Mauritius in terms of properties actually brand new, so I can't really comment on the second one. I can come back to uh, Daphne if, if, uh, if she needs to, um, uh, and, and I can talk about the, the sort of tenancy. But but um, traditionally it used to be 500,000 US, but that, that that has now come down significantly in terms of uh, values. So, so people can come into the Mauritian market at, uh, at more affordable rates, and more importantly, they can start gearing their properties. So, if they come in with 100 or 200,000 US, you can probably gear up to 500 and get yourself still a very nice property uh, in and amongst the uh, where where all the expats are buying theirs. So, um, I think we have to be quite um, quite um, cautious about how COVID is affecting travel because. Um, because I think if you are doing holiday lets and, and rentals, 
then there will be a, 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 a you know question mark on on uh, on your tenancies. But I, I do think that if you look at how many applications there are at Mauritian Home Affairs of South Africans that actually want to physically move out there, I think it's about 50,000 applications that are in there at the moment. That means there is 50,000 South Africans en route there to go and set up there, take their kids there, etc. So those are the ones that you, you want to target in terms of your 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 lettings and tenancy. And I think I do think that that. Uh, will um, go in and increase over over time. So happy to chat with with Daphne when when I can give her some guidance on that. Thank you. And in fact, there've been que questions for both of you. How much do you charge? Do you give advice to DIY investors? Um, so I always encourage people who have those questions to send me an email, and I will forward your details on to the guests. But just in broad brushstrokes, Michelle, where can people go for advice if they want to invest in domestic property? Um, uh, thanks, Jackie. So TPN is available to estate agents or private landlords. You can have one property to 10,000 properties with us. We don't mind. Um, our process that we talk you through is um, placing your tenants, property management, three property management systems, uh, lease agreements, um, prop bay, rent bay, place your properties uh, to rent. So we, we try and walk the entire journey with you. There's no monthly joining fee you pay, 95 Rand for a credit check, 350 Rand per annum for a for lease agreements. You don't pay for the property management system. You don't pay to rent your property on, on prop bay or, or rent bay. And we have three in-house attorneys that will talk you through any legal problems that you might have, whatever they may be in terms of your property, and it doesn't cost anything. Um, and um, we're happy to do it to our clients and to non-clients because we hope you'll be a client and to tenants because we'll hope you'll, um, your, your relationship will resolve with your, with your tenants. Um, what we don't do is we don't give advice though on, um, on the investment. That's not, our, that's not our, our strategy. That's not in the market that we play with. That would be financial advice and we're not a, we, we just, we're not a financial um, advisor at all from that uh, perspective. Thank you, Lawrence. Uh, so if Richard wants to come to you for advice uh, just on an ad hoc basis, is that something that you would do? Perhaps just a brief overview of how the fees work when you deal with um, an organization like yours. Okay. And yes, of course, people do come to us. We're a registered FSP in the country and we do give advice on, on everything that we, um, that we present. Um, our fee model is quite unique uh, in that we are cost-neutral to clients. It's not that we don't earn money, we, we earn good money and uh, we're not Samaritans, but um, but the difference is that we are an institutional investor. So if Richard goes and speaks to a property developer or wants to buy a share portfolio or wants to buy a fund, fund manager, then what happens is they're going to see him as a 50 or 100 or $200,000 investor. They see us as a billion dollar investor and they give us a reduced rate um, that, that, that we buy in bulk, if you will. The margin that we get for that client is where we get paid. So the client will get the, the rate that they will, will have always paid as a retail client. We get the, the, the difference. However, the difference is that, uh, that homogeneously we get paid across the board, we, we, get, we get paid the same. Um, and so what we do is we can on merit pick our property developers, our asset managers, etc., because we get paid the same. So if someone came to me and said, listen, where is the best property developer in the world, in the best country, in the best city, in the best neighborhood in the world? I can accurately tell that person where to go and land their money to make sure that you can get a guaranteed return or can get a, the, the, the highest bit of capital growth at that period of time, over that period of time, etc. Um, and it would benefit me no different to do Berlin versus 
Porto versus Mauritius or, or whatever the case might be. So our, um, our, our skill set comes into the advice, um, but our fees are paid by the, the um, fund managers or trust companies or developers that we work with. Um, and we can choose, and we've got terms of business with all of them, so we can choose uh, the ones that we want to work with, and we pick it on merit. Well, thank you very much, Lawrence, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. So, thank you for having me. And also to you, Michelle Dickens, um, thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you to everybody who attended the webinar. If you have any questions or feedback, there's my email address. And we hope to see you this time next week. So thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Jackie.